I'm Marcus Smith, and this is Constant Wonder. This month, with Christmas drawing near, join me on a journey called Advent. Constant Wonder is marking this venerable tradition, a calendar of hopeful anticipation, with daily short episodes, a new Advent experience every day all the way through the 25th. Together with special guests, we're seeking out the wonder and awe felt by so many people during this season of hope, reverence, peace, and goodwill. It's December 3rd. If you haven't done so already, you may be unboxing your nativity set this week. If so, you'll have, at bare minimum, a Mary and a Joseph and a Christ child. Then there's likely to be an angel perched awkwardly somewhere, a shepherd or two, a couple of sheep, a cow or donkey. Then the three wise men show up with their camels, and they'll have to squeeze in as well. In a tight space, this can be a crowd. But that's not overcrowded at all, not compared to a traditional Italian genre of three-dimensional art depicting this time-honored Bible scene. You've heard it said that it takes a village to raise a child. Well, generations ago in the city of Naples, somebody decided that it really should take every last living soul of the village just to welcome the Christ child. So, in a classic Neapolitan nativity called a presepio, throngs of carved figurines fill in a realistic, burgeoning urban scene. Some of the inhabitants lean out of windows of dirty three-story buildings. Others on the street below sell cheese, bread, watermelons, figs. A drunkard tries to sidestep a mongrel dog. The scene may include a waterfall or a fountain in the grotto, trees, fishermen, millers, the detail can be astounding. And amid all the hubbub, most of the villagers seem to pay no heed to whatever it is that just happened in the nearby stable with its manger. Even you or I, if we were to inspect a presepio with all of its elaborate detail, well, we would need to look very closely indeed just to locate the Holy Family. This style of nativity originated in Naples, but they became very popular throughout Italy. And if you want to see a fine example of one, check out the photo at our website, byuradio.org slash constant wonder. All of your favorite characters are there. So you have the Holy Family, obviously. You have the Magi. You have uh, an assortment of angels. Ed Simon, he's a widely published freelance scholar and writer. He's author of Elysium, a visual history of angelology. The basic idea behind it is no different from something that you would see that somebody would put on their mantle or under a Christmas tree or something at Christmas time, or you'd see in front of like a church somewhere. And to underscore a point made earlier, while the shepherds and angels and the magi exhibit gazes of adoration and could never be pried away from the manger with its babe, the villagers of these scenes, by contrast, the butchers, the bakers, the candlestick makers, they are essentially unaware of the fulfillment of prophecy right in their midst. You have like a cheesemonger and a fisherman and a blacksmith and, and whoever. And they're, of course, contemporaneous to the time in which they were made. So nothing about the Precipio is historically accurate to, you know, first century Judea. Everyone in them is basically a Neapolitan circa the 1700s. 
And I'm told that if I wanted to see a huge presepio here in the United States, my best bet is going to be the Carnegie Museum that is in your hometown of Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. So the Carnegie has the largest and most complete set in the Western Hemisphere, at least. And they're sort of, they're mix and match, right? You can move them around the same way you would with any nativity scene. But they have hundreds of figurines that are part of this presidio. And it's exhibited every December for the entirety of the month. You have the Magi as historically kind of imagined in, in mythology where you have an African and an Asian and a European king. But then on to the rest of the side of the Precipio, you have people just kind of living their lives. People waking up and they're kind of tired or you have like a town drunk or you have people like, you know, changing their children's diapers. You have good and bad things. You kind of have the full multitude of life. And some people see what's happening and some people don't. Right. And I think that's one of the things that's so fascinating and powerful about this scene. From your description, this is a very untidy, very disorganized scene, just sort of a snapshot of a community as it's happening, and in the middle of it, this sacred story is unfolding, and some people are oblivious to it. Yeah, exactly. It's kind of lush, over-brimming with life kind of scene. And there's a sense in which I think that the, the sacred has intervened into the profane. And in one sense, it's changed everything, but in another, it's changed nothing, right? And it's sort of this moment of awe or wonder or beauty or the sublime that's in the midst of regular, kind of physical, material, messy life. So the the lives that people are living, they look messy in a, in a literal kind of way too, right? I mean, there's people tanning leather or, you know, or there's a butcher who's preparing cuts of meat or, or whatever. And so it's, I think there's a kind of incarnational poetics to it almost. Maybe God is being born in physical form, but the emphasis is on the physical of the physical form in a very kind of Catholic or particularly Italian way, I think. You have hundreds of figures in this piece, each of which is handcrafted. And, you know, the faces on them are are all different. I mean, they don't look like dolls. They don't look like mannequins. Presumably, the craftsmen who made them, who are all anonymous, right? There's no... I mean, I assume that the workshop they came from is, is known. Whoever actually made each individual magi or each individual fishmonger or whatever. We don't know the names of those people, but it's it's a type of artistry that is sterling, that's incredible by modern standards. And I imagine that some of these faces are the faces of people whom they knew, their friends and family and neighbors and folks they saw on the street. So there's this kind of sublimity in that, you know, people who've been dead for 350 years are preserved in this display, and they're kind of inserted into a sacred story. And what's so interesting about Christianity in general is it imagines mythic time as inserted into regular time, right? So it's not just like this is a story, but it's a story within real history. If you and I were side by side walking into the museum to see this, we would probably spend some time looking at the individual faces. We'd comment on the craftsmanship. We'd talk about aesthetics. We'd talk about what's going on. Are there stories here? But at some point, we would have to grapple with the fact that that nativity part with the manger, with the baby, is included 
in this raucous, tumultuous society of Naples. And that is startling, actually, in a way. And I think intentionally so. For sure. And, and I always, you know, I think a lot of it comes down to how we think of eternity, right? So often eternity or eternal is used to kind of, it's used as a synonym for uh, immortality almost, which is is wrong, I think. I think that eternity isn't kind of the, like an infinite period of time, but it's kind of the the cessation of time or the place beyond time, right? And I think that's one of the things that helps me grapple with what the Precipio is doing, because on the one hand, aesthetically, right, you know, the fact that all of these figures in the piece are 18th century Neapolitans, we could read that as very like, oh, you know, the silly craftsman who made this didn't know that people 1800 years before them wouldn't look like them. And I think that's the wrong interpretation. I don't know what they understood or didn't understand about history per se, but I think that the deeper point of the piece is the nativity is happening in first century Judea, but it's also happening in 18th century Naples, and it's also happening in 21st century Pittsburgh, and it's also happening everywhere for all time, right? I mean, I think that's the kind of the the idea of the insertion of the sacred into the profane, which the nativity expresses. You do have people who are enraptured in in the piece, but you have people who are clearly in pain too, right? You have people who are who are sick or infirm or hobbled or old or indigent. I think it's a mistake just to read the Persepio and be like, oh, the nativity is happening. Why aren't these people cured of their infirmities? But I think it's that the miraculous is happening in spite of those infirmities. Within that moment of time where there is still suffering, there is also the awe and the ecstasy at the same time. In your reading of this piece of art, you're saying that adoration and exultation and shouts of Hosanna at Christmas time are maybe even a little bit better if they've got smudges around the edges. Yeah, I think that's totally fair to say. You know, nativity is not paradise exactly, right? And it's not, and it's certainly not utopia per se. Um, but it's the it's the kernel of the holy within the dross of everything else. So yeah, I think that it is made more sacred by the smudges at the edge. I think that's very fair to say. Thanks for joining with us today on Constant Wonder during our observance of Advent. Our guest in this episode was Ed Simon. He's author of Elysium, a visual history of angelology. We're going to be hearing from him yet again as our series continues. Today's episode was produced by Eric Schultzka with help from Lily Jensen, sound designed by James Call. Tomorrow, we're going to speak with an avid gardener who has found inspiration even during the bleak, fallow winter months. There's no work to be done in winter. And so you're waiting and you're waiting. And for me, it almost feels like you're waiting for divine intervention. You're waiting for God to show up, really. I'm Marcus Smith. Constant Wonder is a production of BYU Radio.